0: Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, What you feel it. You felt it your entire life. That there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Secret Podcast with Six Sense Media, it's the show that challenges reality, questions at which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a new direction of thought to bring about change, making the paranormal feel quite normal and the supernatural quite natural. Once again, that's what we aim to do on this episode of The Secret Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Nappy II. Feeling quite exhausted at the moment, but this content, I feel, is of the utmost importance. I've referenced it on other shows. I've dove into it a few times. I need to dive into it again. we got a little bit of AI. we got a little bit of... Uh, pole shift crustal displacement. It sounds like a heavy subject. It has been laughed at over the years, but I've been tracking the work of of Ben Davidson with Suspicious Observers, and he has some very strong data. Uh, I want to preference... I will not do this data justice in this show. Absolutely not. He is the scientist. I hope to refer you to him to do your own research and beyond. I have my own uh, analysis. I want to put on a few things uh, as well, tying some metaphysics into it and, uh, you know, I guess the nappy spin as we're looking at this reality and, and how AI seems to be connecting to this as well. Um I don't I don't know, man. It's gonna be a heavy show. I want you to keep in mind and be mindful of the last the previous shows that I've done uh, that have been more uplifting. And I want to say this as a caveat at the beginning that we need to remember to look within. I do think that we can find answers there. I'm not saying stick your head in the sand. I'm not saying project love and light. I'm saying we need to remember what our true power is uh, going forward into this show. So please, Be mindful as I start going into some of this heavy stuff here as well. It's been a uh, challenging week for me and my family. Uh, Everybody's okay now, but it's uh, Monday afternoon right now, January 21st. The show was supposed to be published and released and sent out as of yesterday along with the secret newsletter, but it's been a wild ride for the Nappy family. Last week, a week ago today, we surprised our kids and took them to uh, an indoor water park in our area great. The kids had a good time. We spent two nights there. Uh, On the second evening, I wake up to that sound you don't want to hear. It's my oldest son throwing up. That's never any fun, right? So you know as a parent, if there's any parents out there listening, that's going to spread through the family. So two days later, my youngest, she's a year and a half, she starts throwing up. It wasn't even two days later. I'm sorry. It was, uh, see, I'm so just messed up right now. I don't know, it was a couple days ago, (laughs) my youngest started to, was getting sick, and in about an hour after my youngest got sick, my middle child got sick, and then the following day, my wife got sick and was bedridden for 24 hours, and I'm thinking, I'm going to beat this. I meditate every day, I take these ice cold showers that boost my immune system, and uh, I'm doing the celery juice every morning, my eating hasn't been the best, but I'm doing all these things, I meditate, and, and I feel good, I'm able to take care of my family, right, well about twenty four hours after my wife got sick, I got sick as well, but my bug lasted literally twenty four hours it was uh, I didn't get I didn't get the nausea or anything I, well I had nausea, but i didn't I didn't vomit and I just I had fever and chills and then after a day it was gone and I'm just now catching up on sleep and whatever um. So I do think all this stuff that I'm doing, this you know, healthy stuff, it, it works. It helped me to defeat this a lot quicker. And I, you know, keep my family on this stuff as well. But you know, kids are a little bit more sensitive. But anyway, I defeated it a lot quicker. And then here's the continuing journey of uh, the chaos of my life. If you're still interested, we have this crazy winter storm going on. Um, Friday night, I tried to get the show done, and uh, this is before the storm hit. And as I'm getting ready to go downstairs, my son comes out. He can't sleep, so I'm up with him for another hour or two, and then I was fried, couldn't do the show. Saturday night, I was sick. Sunday, yesterday, I was going to do the show again, and my youngest couldn't fall asleep. She was coughing so bad, and I ended up taking her to the emergency room at 12 o'clock at night last night. She's fine. She just has a cough, but she just couldn't sleep from it. And uh, it was like minus five when I'm driving there, The roads aren't plowed. It's a sheet of ice. So I had to take my car, which has the good snow tires on it, but the heat's done in my car. So we're freezing the way down. It was, it was a nervous wreck, man. Not to bore you with those details, but that's what I've been going through over the past, uh, you know, the past week. Uh, just so that's why the show is not on time. And my apologies to all of you, but I have some important stuff. I've been thinking about this show. Uh, and I've been talking to the, some of you out there about some of this stuff, that's going on. And and I just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to decide how I need to handle this in my, in my own life. What steps do I now need to take? Because I'm starting to believe that some of this stuff is enough. We have enough information now where it's enough of a significant threat that we need to do something. And that doesn't mean go take violent action. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to do something a little bit more to prepare. Um, I'm in that kind of mood right now uh, That based on what I'm seeing. So I'm going to be picking your brains out there for some ideas uh, and, and some guests. If you have some commentary on this, whether you want to email it to me or you want to come on the show and talk about it after I go through some of this data tonight, um, please get in touch. I think this is I think this is serious stuff that we're looking at here and I'm going to get into why. You know how I feel about AI uh, and it's just it's just continuing to progress. What uh, it's amazing how I've been talking about this for 3 years projecting, hey, here's what I think the data is telling us where it's going to go and now I'm see I'm seeing it. We're all seeing it develop. Not that I'm some genius. I mean, you can see they were predicting this everywhere. But it's, it's just, it has me concerned, my friends. And then with this pole shift stuff, um, you know, Ben Davidson, one of his talks, said basically the movie 2012 kind of had it right that this crustal displacement is possible, that the electromagnetic field can have some kind of effect on the crust, and that the crust can actually completely flip and shift once these poles uh, do their pole flip, or it can just create massive earthquakes and upheavals and changes in land formations. Either way, it sounds pretty bad. And it, it looks like we're building towards that. And again, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but uh, I think that we should be concerned at this point. More information is needed, obviously, but we need to be looking into this stuff. Okay, quick story here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I just want to have uh, a quick comment on it. It came from BuzzFeed. The WHO is the World Health Organization's top global health threats for 2019 may surprise you. One of the things they named in here are the anti-vaxxers, the anti-vaccine movement. So it's they call it the number it was named as number one, reluctance or refusal to vaccinate, aka the anti-vaxxer movement. Now, I, I, I get it, I completely get it, but my concern here is a big part of the anti-vaxxer movement is understanding what's in the vaccines and what impact do these vaccines have on our children in terms of these preservatives, these additives, and are these companies credible and trustworthy? And what we're doing is we're taking concerned parents and we're demonizing them instead of, I, I don't, I think we can do a better job at answering their questions and looking at there's obviously conflicts of interest here between the people who work in government and the people who work in pharma. They are working together, one and the same sometimes. And that's one of my big concerns on this platform. Uh, so it scares me that they're being demonized this way because it's now easier to say, well, you're one of the greatest threats to human health, so we're not going to listen to you, and we're going to have a, you know, we're going to, I don't know, take consequences against you. So that's, uh, I'm, I'm going to link that article in the show notes at sixcentsmedia.net, and it'll be in the secret newsletter that'll be going out, hopefully at some point in time today. Check your inboxes. All right, here we go. This article is uh, is concerning. This comes from technologyreview.com. AI software learns to make AI software. Google and others think software that learns to learn could take over some work done by AI experts. That's a that's a great idea, right? Let's just let AI make more AI. We have no idea what's going Who's in control here? Progress in artificial intelligence causes some people to worry that software will take jobs such as driving trucks away from humans. Now, leading researchers are finding that they can make software that can learn to do one of the trickiest parts of their own jobs, the task of designing machine learning software. In one experiment, researchers at the Google Brain Artificial Intelligence Research Group had software design a machine learning system to take a test used to benchmark software that processes language when it came up with surpassed uh, previously published results from software designed by humans. In recent months, several other groups have also reported progress on getting learning software to make learning software. They include researchers at the nonprofit research institute OpenAI, which was co-founded by Elon Musk, MIT, the University of California, Berkeley, and Google's other artificial intelligence research group, DeepMind. If self-starting AI techniques become practical, they could increase the pace at which machine learning software is implemented across the economy. Companies must currently pay a premium for machine learning experts who are in short supply. Again, I'm not a tech guy. I'm not a software guy. I'm sure there's some some great benefit to this. But again, now you have machines that are potentially going to be becoming self-aware, and we're going to say, yes, and go create on your own the ability to learn and to teach other machines how to learn that's a recipe for disaster. What if the machine realizes, well, we need the planet Earth to survive, and humans are destroying the planet Earth? I mean, that's the AI robot scenario, right? Uh, humans in danger. I mean, anything. I'm looking at the worst case of this, obviously, but I'm, I'm getting the data. I'm looking at the at the evidence here, and it's it's it's. I, I think this is a very bad idea. Speaking of software, there was an article that got some attention from businessinsider.com and this one's titled bill gates and steve jobs raised their kids tech free and it should have been a red flag Uh, the highlights of this article interviews with bill gates steve jobs and other tech elites consistently reveal that silicon valley parents are strict about technology use a new book suggests the signs may have been clear years ago that smartphone use should be regulated there may be a way to integrate tech into the classroom, however, that avoids its harmful effects. So, I'm going to have this article linked up. I know, I think it was TrueStream in one of their movies they did in the last six months. They talked about this uh, significantly. Um, and it's a concern. When you've got the people making the tech saying, I don't want my kids on this, I think it's an issue. I, you know, And I, I have to say, Um, I was so good. And then I guess over the last three weeks, I'm dealing with like a major Facebook scrolling addiction. Uh, it's mindless. I'm just on it and I'm just scrolling, 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 and I'm getting nothing out of it. I'm just scrolling. And I I don't have the updated, uh, software yet for the iPhone. Watch now it's going to appear on my phone that I need to upgrade after I said it out loud. Right. Um, but apparently the new software tracks your screen time. I, I, I shudder to think what my screen time has been. So I need to work at, uh, unplugging myself a little bit more again um, moving forward in the upcoming week. I'll share that article with you, though. But, again, the people making the tech are saying it's not safe for our kids or it's not healthy for our kids. We're not going to allow our kids to use this stuff. Think. Let that sink in for a minute. All right. Uh, here's the next one. This comes to us from Forbes.com. And I had some good discussions uh, online about this one. Uh, I think it was through the Secret Podcast page on Facebook. But uh, So I'm just going to read a part of this. Technological development uh, has, become, has become a rat race. In the competition to lead the emerging technology race and the futuristic warfare battleground, artificial intelligence is rapidly becoming the center of global power play. As seen across many nations, the development in Autonomous Weapons Systems, AWS, is progressing rapidly. And this increase in the weaponization of artificial intelligence seems to have become a highly destabilizing development. It brings complex security challenges for not only each nation's decision makers, but also for the future of humanity. The reality today is that artificial intelligence is leading us toward a new algorithmic warfare battlefield that has no boundaries or borders may or may not have humans involved, and will be impossible to understand and perhaps control across the human ecosystem in cyberspace, geospace, and space. As a result, the very idea of the weaponization of artificial intelligence, where a weapon system that once activated across CGS can select and engage human and non-human targets without further intervention by a human designer or operator, is causing great fear. So, I mean, we've seen all the... Uh, <laughs> you know, the scary movies, how this goes bad, but it seems like this stuff's playing out just like it does in the Terminator movies as this stuff is being developed. Uh, and I got a few thoughts on that. I, you know, I spoke to, um, I was speaking to somebody online about this, and, and his concern was the weaponization of uh, of, of animal life and, and making weapons seem like sea animals and, and land animals. And, and you're seeing all this stuff out there right now. They're modeling weapons because, you know, you model things off of nature, right? and here's my thought and here I'm kind of getting into the metaphysics and some of the I don't even know if it's conspiracy stuff maybe it's more spiritual stuff creation stuff ancient history stuff I don't know but you know the the person I was speaking with very intelligent person we have a lot of good conversations online was talking about you know why does mankind have to create make everything a weapon make this now we've got this new life coming on this artificial intelligence and automatically we're weaponizing it right well this happens to be kind of the crux of my research and and my book that I'm hoping to have done soon, Food for the Archons. And I I think that it's already been done. If we look at the design of life on this planet, in our existence, life requires life in order to live. Something must suffer or die in order for something else to live. You got to eat, right? And to eat, we kill. Now, Bob Monroe's book, that really shook me up, his, his, his book, uh, Far Journeys, where he was taught about Louche. and one of the things he said in, in, his, uh, in his spiritual journey, what he was shown, the information he was given, was that the designer, the gardener, um, created life and realized that it got more of the desired energetic output when the fight to the death process was prolonged. So it created organisms of varying shapes and sizes and agilities and abilities and various weapon systems, sharp teeth, claws, fangs, force, strength, whatever you want to call it, intelligence weapon systems to prolong those battles. So when I hear that now artificial intelligence is working with nature to make their own weapons, I'm thinking, well, this is what's already been done and I feel like I'm trapped in some cyclic uh, I don't know this is it a time loop is history repeating itself Sometimes I wonder am I just in some kind of simulated reality that's designed just for me and these are all I know that sounds very egocentric but maybe everything around me is just a projection of my own consciousness to teach me something and I'm seeing Patterns and similarities and everything else around me. Am I nuts? I, I, or do you feel that way as well? I mean, come on, reach out, let me know. Tell me I'm not crazy, please. But I'm seeing these similarities everywhere across things that I've read about in spiritual practices, things I read about in, in ancient history and forgotten history, things that I see in nature and things now I'm seeing emerging technologically modern day. And it's all the same story. And that's what's getting, it's the same Story and it all connects, I, and I, I really I don't think I'm nuts on this one. I really don't. It's just it's a lot to swallow. It, it, it really is. So I, I'll have this one link for you to uh, to review in the show notes and at sixcentsmedia.net. Now, speaking of that, I will also have a video through CNN that you can take a look at um, that talks all about these. Uh, and it's probably going to start playing in the background now. Talks all about these robot animals that are being created as well. So I think that's well worth your attention uh, to take a look at. And now I want to move to an article from thenewyorker.com Now if you remember a while back, we talked about this asteroid uh, Amuamua I'm sorry it wasn't an asteroid. It was an interstellar object. It was the first object observed from outside of our solar system that passed through it and it changed speed, and it escaped gravitational fields, which is an indication that most likely this was probably some kind of a craft. Why was it here? We don't know. So this tar- this article from The New Yorker is titled, Have Aliens Found Us? A Harvard Astronomer on the Mysterious Interstellar Object Amua Mua. On October 19, 2017, astronomers at the University of Hawaii spotted a strange object traveling through the solar system, which they later described uh, as red and extremely elongated asteroid. It was the first interstellar object to detect within our solar system, and scientists named it Oumuamua, the Hawaiian word for the scout or messenger. The following October, Avi Loeb, the chair of Harvard's astronomy department, co-wrote a paper with a Harvard uh, postdoctoral fellow, Shmel Bailey and examined Omomua's peculiar acceleration and suggested that the object may be a fully operational probe sent intentionally to earth's vicinity by an alien civilization. Love has long been interested in the research for extraterrestrial life. And he recently made further headlines by suggesting that we might communicate with the civilization that sent the probe. If These beings are peaceful. We could learn a lot from them. All right. I, I know I've talked about all this information. This is nothing new to any of you out there that have been following the show. Um, Let's say this is a probe, and again, I'll have the rest of this article for you, you know, to read. Let's say this is a probe sent out to gather information. We don't know anything about the civilization that sent it. I mean, for all we know, we could have sent it, and it could just be coming back. Uh, you know, thousands of years ago. Maybe we. Was, I don't know. I can speculate in a thousand different ways. I'm trying to think outside the box here, because now. Again, UFOs are. This is a this is a this is a real UFO. We can't explain why it did what it did. We 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 don't have the science to explain it yet. Was it intelligently piloted? I guess is the first thing we're trying to understand. Who was piloting it? Are they now going to come here? Uh, again, now I can easily spin this into a story that will make you think Independence Day. I don't want to say make you think could lead a listener down the path of Independence Day is about to happen because that was the probe ship that came out. But let us keep in mind, and I know that uh, Secure Team did a good bit on this as well. Let us keep in mind that the cigar-shaped craft is one of the most common UFOs that have been reported. So is this something from somewhere else that's never visited this planet? I I mean... I tend to think that our planet has been visited countless times. If you listen to Dr. Greer and the, and the Secret Space Program people, it sounds like we've been traveling to the stars and back for quite some time now and other civilizations have been coming here. So why is this being reported now in the mainstream? Why is this fi- this one finally getting out? Especially because I, I, I went into some Farsight Institute remote viewing data about structures on the moon, but Ingo Swan had his book about structures on the moon, and then we've got the photographic anomalies that keep coming out with structures on the moon. Now, China landed on the dark side of the moon not too long ago. We don't have the official confirmation of these structures yet, but if those structures are on the moon and NASA knows about it, why aren't they coming out yet? Why is this potential probe coming out is this setting us up for a, a false flag deception is this setting us up for something else i, I friends I, I don't know but what i do know is that we do need to keep our eyes to the skies and pay attention to stories like this and understand that there is much more going on here and, and that's i think my concern is that so many big areas it seems that things are things are happening ancient history is being uncovered more and more and i think becoming more solidified fact that there's more to our history which i'm going to get into climate change big deal uh, ai consciousness big deal ufo's and, and space and extraterrestrial life and all that stuff big deal now all are getting mainstream attention why now are we building towards something i suspect that we are I, I don't fully know what we're building towards, but it's something that concerns me, and that's why I want to move into the suspicious observers content. Now, Ben Davidson has a ton of content out there. You can go to suspiciousobservers. dot I want to say it's either. com or. org. I'm sorry, it might be. dot org. Um, observers is spelled with a zero. I'll have the links in the uh, in, in the web at the website at uh, sixsensmedia. But he's got another website, and you can link to it from suspiciousobservers.org, magneticreversal.org. And here's where he's got a ton of data on this magnetic pole flip. And basically, the poles are constantly moving. Our poles never don't always really stay in one place. But we understand that about our poles. And I think it's every five years or ten years, we do a recalibration to see where the poles are so then we can recalibrate all our equipment that uses the poles for navigational purposes and things of that nature. Again, listen to Ben, he talks about it a lot more sophisticated than I can. But apparently the poles have shifted so much that they need to run this test, this recalibration test in 2019 instead of 2020 when it's scheduled because it's gonna cause that much deviation in navigational systems. That's a concern, that's a red flag. The poles are are moving. Um, It it looks like they're in the process of flipping right now. And Ben has a ton of data on that. I'm going to get into some of that in a minute. I'm I'm looking at uh, magneticreversal.org right now. He's got nine fast facts. I'm just going to read these fast facts and I want to get into something else that is, uh, I think, pretty interesting. So he says, the South Pole has already left Antarctica, and the North Pole is racing across the Arctic Ocean. And he's got links to all of this stuff to back up the data. Earth's magnetic poles are getting ready to flip. That's from the mission manager of Swarm ESA. The magnetic field began weakening in 1600. magnetic field weakened 10% from the 1800s to 2000. Earth's magnetic field was weakening 5% per century, but is now weakening 5%. Per decade, as of 2014, the magnetic field is continuing to weaken rapidly. Magnetic reversals can occur in less than 100 years. Magnetic reversals lead to extinction events. Magnetic reversals may cause biblical floods. And he's got a ton of resources on here uh, where you can go in and and do your own research. I need to do more of this as well, and, and I think the bigger challenge that I face with this is number one, I think I need to get some kind of a timeline in my head. What are the chances that this is going to happen in my lifetime? And I think that it's, they're pretty good based on what I've read and seen so far. And I think we need to be mindful of that. But how do we talk to family members that aren't aware of this? I mean, this is a total culture for people that don't study this stuff. Don't have an interest in this stuff. If you're just an internet junkie conspiracy theorist like I am, I don't have a scientific background here. How are you going to get anybody to take you seriously? I mean, Ben Davidson and all the work he does, I think definitely can make the argument that there's something to be concerned about here. And he does a good job of presenting that, but it's a lot of information. Now, you take somebody who has no interest in this, it's not part of their world. How do you get them to that website to take it seriously, to then invest probably a couple hours worth of their time to be interested enough to research this, to then say, I think we might need to make some major life decisions about where we're living and what we're doing. I mean, this is a big deal. So again, I'm open to suggestions. Uh, you know How do you talk to people that you care about about something like this? Do you talk to people that you care about? What if it's your immediate family? What do you do? These are real things, real issues that I think we need to start dealing with immediately um, there's a lot happening friends and, and this is just this is just a piece of it and, and here's what what gets me this is what really got my attention because of my interest but what Ben was talking about was the idea of crustal displacement this he did a, a video on this a couple weeks ago But there was a book that was published back in, I want to say the 60s, called The Adam and Eve Story by a guy by the name of Chan Thomas. That entire book was classified by the Central Intelligence Agency. Why would the CIA classify a book about Adam and Eve? That makes you wonder, right? And when you start getting into it, It goes on and on about crustal displacement. Now, I lost my page because my computer has since frozen and reset, so give me a second to scroll back down to it. Uh, Let's see. It was was published by Emerson House, Los Angeles, 1965. The CIA looks like they declassified this. They they declassified in part sanitized copy approved for release June 24, 2013. Ben had the links to the official CIA.gov website with this document in it. He also said, be mindful, because we don't know if the CIA doctored anything in this document to change the wording of things that that we're even seeing. So there's parts that have been taken out of this book that we are not privy to see, that we don't know why it was classified. When Ben reviewed this, he looked at the science that was available to us, and he says... This works," he says. "The other great minds that have looked at this—I don't—I I think Einstein and, and somebody—he named all the guys that had these theories." Um, he said, "When they looked at this information, there were pieces missing that wouldn't make the science work." He says, "When he reads this book, what's what's out there?" He says, "It fits. It fits, and this may be a real event that we're looking at." So I want to read part of this, and, and this piece, I'm on page 10 of the PDF, 10 of 57. The next cataclysm, like Noah's 65,000 years ago, like Adam and Eve's 11,500 years ago, this too will come to pass. Now, let that sink in for a minute. It's saying, Noah Sixty-five hundred years, sixty-five hundred years ago. Now that brings us back to after Noah. Then what? Sumeria, the re-emergence of civilization, which we're seeing now, thanks to so many researchers out there. And I, I always refer back to people like Michael Cremo of Forbidden Archaeology, and you guys know I'm a big fan of Graham Hancock's work. His most, one of his most recent works, Magicians of the Gods, um, that there was an ancient high society that was on this planet. And then he talks about Adam and Eve. He's saying Adam and Eve was eleven thousand five hundred years ago. Now, Graham Hancock's work, I believe, says it takes us back twelve thousand five hundred years ago when this high society kind of fell apart due to a—he calls it a celestial impact. So we're looking at this happening again, and I'm going to come back to that. I want to read a portion from this book um, that I think just puts some things into perspective here. Um, ben read on his presentation, he read a part from, uh, from this book as well, talking about what the destruction looked like. I'll have the link to this book and go back. I, I highly recommend you check it out. Um, it, it, it's, like the, it's like the movie 2012. Ben was, like, they said, oh, that's a fantastic movie. That'll never happen that way. But after reading this and listening to Ben, it's like, wow, this sounds like it's a real possibility. And again, I'm nobody. I'm going off of Ben, who I think is a pretty credible guy, though based on the results he's getting with his disaster prediction app and predicting earthquakes, looking at electromagnetism. And this resonates strongly with me because in my, not only my research, but my intuition has led me, electromagnetism, electromagnetism is important. Once I realized that electromagnetism was important with consciousness and psychic development and communication and our connection to everything, I then Come stumble into Ben Davidson who goes, hey, electromagnetism affects the earth, it affects earthquakes, it affects weather, it affects human behavior and the human heart and all this stuff. It's like, wow, that fits perfectly with my stuff. So that's my connection to it. I've got a, an intuitive pull to that information. So I give that credibility because of that connection I have to it, but also because I respect them as a researcher. So here we go. Uh, I'm on page 19 of the PDF. And it goes, so after years of research beginning in 1949, Curvier's challenge had an answer. Yes, indeed, the cataclysms do happen. And the last one, 6,500 years ago, was Noah's flood. All right, so they happen. What is it that happens each time? The challenge was really twofold find the process, what happens in a cataclysm, and the trigger, what causes the cataclysm to start. What a chase! And what a dramatic story of the earth's history we uncovered. Civilizations of 20,000 years ago, more advanced than our wildest imagination. Prehistoric legends from Greece, Egypt, India, and South America, which became history instead of legend. Lost continents in the Atlantic and Pacific, which became dated realities with logical reasons for their sudden disappearance. Yes, Vishnu came alive, a man who lived through a cataclysm 70,000 years before our time. Actually, 10 cataclysms ago. Now he is known as the Hindu god of ten resurrections from the waters. Osiris too was rediscovered. He was the Jesus of his time, a man of Egypt some 15,000 years ago. Noah smiled at us from the pages of the Epic of Gilgamesh. He actually was a Sumerian named, I'm not going to pronounce this right, Utnapfistim, who lived 6,500 years ago. The ark he built is more than legend. The process of a cataclysm is known now. Look at the cross section of the earth inside the front cover. You'll see two molten layers, the orange ones. The important one is the thin molten layer about 60 miles thick, which is between 60 and 100 miles down below the surface of the earth. The thick, deep molten layer started 1800 miles down at the bottom of the mantle and extending 1300 miles deeper is the outer core. Now, both molten layers are liquid, however, the inner magnetic and electrical structure of the Earth makes these layers act as if they were near solid, or plastic. As long as the magnetic and electrical structure maintains its orderliness, this old Earth keeps on rotating on its axis in a normal manner. The growing ice caps, Antarctica and Greenland, are not centered on the Earth's axis, and because they rotate around the poles, are trying to swing down to the equator. The only way they could do it would be to pull the whole 60-mile thick shell around with them. As long as the shallow molten layer stays plastic, the shell won't shift. But once every few thousand years, the magnetic and electrical orderliness inside the earth is disrupted and the molten layer is allowed to act like a free liquid, which it was all the way uh, all the time anyway. It then serves as a lubricant for the ice caps to pull the shell of the earth around the inside. In one quarter to one half a day, the poles move almost to the equator and all hell lets loose. The atmosphere and oceans don't shift with the shell. They just keep on rotating west to east. In the equator, that speed is 1,000 miles per hour. It has to be normally to make one rotation per day. So while the shell shifts with the poles going toward the equator, the winds and oceans go eastward blowing across the face of the earth with supersonic speeds, inundating continents with water miles deep. Now what about the trigger? This turned out to be the most elusive piece of the, of the whole puzzle. We couldn't rely on the supernatural explanation, like something happening in the heavens, of a vague character which actually violated the laws of nature. No, it had to be something natural, a part of nature's ordinary structure, which disrupts the Earth's inner electrical and magnetic structure whenever it happens. We once thought that sunspots could be the cause because they do disrupt the Earth's inner electrical and magnetic structure, but we were wrong. We found out that nature's power plant is a motor generator system existing in many different magnitudes. It's the basic structure of the universe." The energy structure of an atom is identical to a rotating planet, to a blue-white star, to a galaxy, to a supergalaxy, to all levels of supergalaxies, including a universe and even more. As a neutron which has escaped from its parent atom's neutral zone will separate into particles, a star through a sunspot gives off neutral matter which explodes as it becomes energized. So a galaxy gives birth to an exploding star when a dead star escapes from its neutral zone in the center. And as a dead galaxy explodes when it escapes from the central neutral zone of its planetary supergalaxy, a planet therefore must act the same at its energy level. So apparently, once every few thousand years, neutral matter escapes from the 860 mile radius inner core into the 1300 mile thick molten outer core, and there is a literal atomic explosion inside the Earth. The explosion in the high-energy layer of the outer core disrupts completely the electrical and magnetic structure in both the molten outer core and the outer 60-mile-thick molten layer. Finally, the ice caps are allowed to pull the shell of the earth around the interior with the shallow molten layer lubricating the shift all the way. All right. Uh, I will save the rest of this for you to go back and look at on your own. I'm not a scientist, so I, I can't give you a scientific explanation on this. I'm going off of what Ben Davidson talked about. I think it's odd that the CIA would classify this book and then suddenly declassify it in 2013. Now, I've got a couple thoughts on this. I've got a lot of thoughts on this, actually. Number one, look at what's happening today. UFOs are real. They're not ours. We don't know who operates them. That's what's been said basically by the establishment. Then you've got Dr. Greer, who apparently represents the whistleblowers who are coming out and saying yeah we've got this technology there's a black budget space program a secret space program and we've got the et technology we're starting to see more about structures on the moon uh, amuamua passing through the war in space is heating up china just landed on the backside of the moon we're talking about sending somebody to Mars. We've got the privatization of of space rockets now, and soon people are going to be able to go up into these rockets, and, and, you know, we're getting there. Why? What are those structures on the moon? Are they alien? Or are we looking at remnants from a previous society? Now... Again, Graham Hancock in Magicians of the Gods is of the mindset that he doesn't think that these were aliens that came down um, like the Sumerian texts suggest um, through Sitchin's work. And I'm not for or against this. This is just what Graham says is that it's the old Earth civilizations that have just been destroyed and then come back, destroyed and then come back. So he thinks they were all Earth-based that are still present here. Um, I, I tend to think there's a combination of things going on here I think we've had I mean you listen to Robert morningsky's discussions and, and the work of several other people um, I think there's stuff coming from somewhere else as well that's had an influence on this planet I think we the the average human citizen on this planet is in the dark about who we really are and what our history actually is but I've been I, I look at the Native Americans and these ancient tribal people and I I look at them with such respect in my heart for them something that I feel as if they were given the task you must survive and you must carry on the human race and you must remember you must remember these stories now civilization is going to fall apart and if you're not going underground into a bunker with technology you're not going to go up to the secret moon base on the backside of the moon where we have these structures that you can survive and ride this out in so you don't have to come down to earth during these years of cleansing and cataclysm possibility you can survive on the planet it's going to be hard but you're not going to be able to write things down for a while So what do you have to do? Well, we got to commemorate these stories. It's important that the next generation knows so they don't make the same mistakes. We're going to start drawing in caves, and we're going to pass on oral traditions until we reinvent the ability to write and record. We're going to create these stone structures, these stone monuments. You look at things like um, Gobekli Tepe. That was just buried, completely buried. They think intentionally, why? They're trying to tell us something, and it's pointing to possibly now. What if some of us are the ones that will be, quote, chosen, by whom I don't know, to carry on that tradition in this vicious cycle that our planet seems to go on? Some of us may go underground. Some of us may have the rapture and be taken up into space and go into the moon and go into Mars and go into whatever. What if we're just seeing a a repetition of our society as it rises and falls, rises and falls, rises and falls, and we're stuck in this giant machine? And there's creation story after creation story that talks about this. I, I, I pulled a part of the Hopi creation story talking about the ant people, how they knew the cataclysms were coming and people were in tune with the earth, but people over time forgot about their connection to the earth and they started to, to spread out. But some of them heard the call that cataclysm was coming and they followed their intuition and went and went with the ant people and they learned from them underground. And the fourth world was destroyed. Not the first world, the fourth world was destroyed. And the Hopi survived with the ant people. And then they reemerged and they came out into the fifth world. This world has been destroyed, my friends. Can it happen again? And I want to say, that's insane. Why would it happen now? We said, What makes us so significant that we're going to be living during that time? And then I watch something like the home videos taken from the tsunami in Japan or the tsunami that hits Sumatra, any of them. It's horrifying. But you see what nature is capable of. And then I think, why not now? All I'm saying is that it's possible that something really bad could happen. And I'm not trying to scare you. I promise you I'm not. But I, I think we at least need to dedicate some time thinking about this. But here's my other caveat. This is my counterintelligence brain that's screaming at me as well. I got some other stuff in the works and I'm trying to get on the air this month for you within the next you know, 30 days and I then I, I can talk a little bit more about this, but how do we know that we're not being deceived, even with our psychic data that we're getting? How do we know this isn't one big deception or manipulation or a big test? And we're being used, and I've talked about it a bunch, to create. And again, by me doing this exact show, I'm helping the creation of our own destruction. Because now I'm planting that thought or solidifying that thought in your minds and your hearts. I I don't know what the answer is. But if we're conscious creators, if we look at coming back to the Maharishi effect... 1% of the population meditating can reduce crime and violence in a given area. What can 1% of the population or what can 2% of a population or whatever percent of a population do believing that a major cataclysm is coming? If we communicate electromagnetically, if we all perceive or enough of of us perceive that something bad is coming, can we manifest that electromagnetically through emotion and, and attention? And I I promise once you read my book, if I can ever get it done, I think that'll be an easier pill to swallow when you see the breakdown of how this works. So I need to caution us on that. But I also feel that I need to cover this story so it's a real catch-22 for me. I'm conflicted on the inside and I'm trying. I've got some guests lined up that hopefully can answer that for us moving forward. But it's something that, that I'm concerned about at this point in time. So if you have any thoughts, any information, anything that I can share with the rest of you out there, please send it my way. This, I think, is a top priority for all you seekers out there. And I think it's all connected. UFOs, the AI, and this climate change, pole shift, cataclysm. Maybe I'm just making connections where... There aren't any because these are things that are of interest to me. I, I Tell me so I'm not chasing my tail here, making stuff up. Help me out here, friends. All right. That's heavy enough. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and close out the show here um, and try to get this published by today so you guys can get this and listen to this before next week's show comes out. Sorry for being so behind this week, my friends. It's just been a hectic week, but this is important. Uh, so please... Share this content if you found it valuable. Send an email to somebody. Sign up for the secret newsletter. You'll get my free book, I Am Human and We're Not Who We Think We Are. I think that's a great starting point if you're trying to wrap your head around some of this stuff. We need a good foundation in understanding who we are. I don't have the answers, but I think I got the questions that will help you on your own journey. You get that book for free, I Am Human We're Not Who We Think We Are, and then you get the secret newsletter. I get it out to you every week. More of this stuff to think about and the links to the things that I cover so you can continue your own research and then hopefully share your findings back with me and, and the rest of us out there uh, as well. Ray Davis, uh, let's, let's put our positive spin on it. Ray Davis, he's been doing 365 days of affirmations. He's got some great stuff at his, at his website, The Affirmation Spot. You can find the links to it at sixcentsmedia.net. He's been sharing it all over social media as well. I do believe what Ray's doing, and that mindset is what can help us, and that's the could be the answer to the question I just asked us a minute ago. That could help us change course, change direction. I think maybe that's the test. Maybe that's the challenge. If we can find that peace within, if we can find that strength within and understand who we are and what our connection is, I think that would give us the power to maybe stop this cycle. Ray has a piece to that. So check out what he's got going on at the Affirmation Spot as well. It's uh, it's uplifting content. If you want to make yourself, if you want to find some improvements on yourself, I I think that's a great starting point for you. It's a great finishing point for you as well. Uh, You know, check out what he's got going on at the Affirmation Spot. Excuse me. Uh, And also, Ray and I have some some projects that we're working on. uh, A little teaser. We've got some merchandise coming out that will help support the show that I think you guys are going to love. We're, we're working really hard on this. We've been going back and forth for a while on it. Um, so we're, we're, we're close. We're close to getting it off the ground. I hope you'll support it um, when it comes out because uh, right now we're a no-budget operation and I think that the work we're doing is very important and uh, I don't want to just ask you guys for money but if we have something that's of value to you then I think that it's worth it to say, hey, you know, it, it, it'll help fun what we're doing here. All right, my friends, I'm out of time. I'm out of energy. I'm exhausted. I need to uh, get back to my family and, and uh, also get this published. So uh, until next week, my friends, this has been another episode of The Secret Podcast where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. Keep an open mind. Thank you i <laughs>